0: back to another episode of the Baked and Awake podcast. You just heard a little intro jingle prepared by my friend from Down Under, Dave Chafee of the Man Brain Comedy Podcast. Thank you very much, Dave, for that excellent intro. I really enjoyed the deep breathing exercises. I took the opportunity to breathe along as well. As I'm sure I probably wasn't alone. Uh, everybody, I'm really happy to bring you this episode tonight. It's going to be a long one. We're going to present part one of a two-part conversation uh, with two good friends of mine, Adam Schaefer and Douglas Moreland, uh, two local friends of mine from the Seattle area here who are uh, former members of the Mars Hill Church community. Evangelical Christian megachurch from the late 90s and early 2000s here in the Seattle area. That was a cultural phenomenon at the time and a very interesting story of sort of a rise and fall of a seeming shining star, sort of a uh, real personality in the form of Pastor Mark Driscoll, who was the public face of the church and main pastor for most of Mars Hill's existence. Uh, So what the way I decided to handle the managing of the conversation and everything and, you know, sort of the debate on, you know, edit it or not to edit it, how to edit it, what have you, came down on the side of allowing the conversation as natural and slightly disjointed as it is at times to uh, flow for itself, stand for itself, uh, with the assistance of a bit of context provided by uh, both myself and also in the form of a written statement that was prepared by my friend Adam uh, to sort of, you know, we'll just sort of front load that in front of the conversation tonight. We're going to play part one of the conversation tonight, and uh, then I'll record a short intro again with a few more comments um, before posting part two, which is another you know, good chunk of conversation, a little over an hour's worth of conversation with me and the guys. <clears throat> and um, yeah, just sort of see where it goes from there. This is the first of a number of discussions that... I look forward to having uh here on the podcast and with all of you about religion, about spirituality, about consciousness, about our relationships with the mystical in the 21st century as you know, fully western kind of, you know, future living Adults like we are these days, you know, we're in the information age. Most of us have been raised up maybe with some, a lot of these traditions. And, and yet, as we have grown older, you know, you're, you're sitting here listening to a fellow who's of the MTV generation or a Gen Xer or whatever you want to call it. For those of you who are younger than me, that just means I'm an old fogey from the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you know, maybe my upbringing and the tradition that I was brought up in was, you know, especially coming from where I came from, the East Coast, um, Long Island, New York specifically, uh, and especially during my formative years, maybe a little different than, you know, a lot of my listeners out here in the Pacific Northwest, for example, um, listeners here on the West Coast uh, we tend to, you know, sort of honor our traditions a little differently as regards, you um, You know, Western Christianity. You know, uh, in all its forms. Um, I was raised Episcopal, so uh, that is to say, uh, the Episcopalian Church is one of the more traditional uh, churches. It is considered, I believe, a um, you know, nominally and almost a Protestant church, but they're they're definitely on the they're they're only one layer removed from Roman Catholicism in so many ways, Um, and you know, in all aspects of the trappings of the church and the internal hierarchy, um, etc., a lot of that stuff looks very much like the Roman Catholic Church, and I do even believe the Episcopal, Episcopal Church, you know, more or less recognizes the pontiff and, and recognizes the Vatican on some level, uh, you know, as part of their uh, ultimate church hierarchy. So, Uh, It's interesting in that way. I I may be slightly incorrect there in terms of how independent the Episcopalians are or aren't or do or do not consider themselves uh, as a body. But at any rate, where I was going with that was I was raised in the church. I uh, attended, you know, regularly through all of my formative years and. was baptized into the Episcopal Church, and then later on as a young adult became confirmed, as they call it, uh, in the church. Uh, you know, most religions have a rite of passage for young adults who are going to begin to prepare to, you know, participate more fully in their communities, uh, and, and in particular in the church community. Um, at a certain point, you're, you know, expected to demonstrate a greater understanding of the teachings and the scriptures and things. Um and, you know, to also sort of make a, a bit of a vow, a, a, um, a promise or a compact, if you will, uh, with the church that you will, you know, be a, uh, a useful member of the church, a moral member of the church, a uh, committed member of the church, a uh, probably a, you know, beacon for the church for those who have not um, encountered it, you know, uh, sort of a you know, first, uh, first ranks of uh, those who would, uh, you know, reach out to new people and eventually bring them in to the fold. So uh, that's sort of a lot of the things that you know come out of your confirmation uh, time in the Episcopal Church. Uh, you spend a bit of time in you know extra Sunday school classes, Saturday school classes, catechism uh, is what it's called, where you know you learn a little bit more in depth the uh, stories of the of the. In particular, um, as preparing for the catechism, it's a lot of New Testament uh, focus uh, and focus on Jesus and the resurrection, etc. So, not to get too bogged down in that, though. um, What I would like to do is, you know, just I I bring that up because um, there'll be a little bit more detail in the show notes about this. But, you know, my church upbringing was almost entirely positive. Uh, Our clergy were scandal-free. There were no, you know, um, certainly nothing I ever became aware of in terms of instances of abuse inside the church by anyone um, holding an office of the church. I was never, you know, never saw anything even hokey uh, appearing. And I was an altar boy. I I really was participating in, in, uh, you know, our church services as a youngster and spent a lot of time there and was part of youth group, etc., um, yeah, so, you know, uh, and it's interesting cause I, I'm talking about that time and era and, you know, we'll hear in the conversation with the guys, some of these same feelings and sentiments that, um, both Douglas and Adam express about, you know, a, as, and, and many of us go through this as we grow a little older, as for those of us who are a little bit more motivated and, uh, like to read a bit, um, you know, are that sort of uh, young uh, student of the uh, scripture, you know, uh, you find yourself asking some tough questions at a certain point of your youth pastors, of your Sunday school teachers, um, even of your, you know, um, uh, the actual clergy, the pastors, the ministers in the church, Uh, you know, and I began to ask some of those questions during my catechism uh training and and classes in preparation for confirmation certainly not aggressively enough to derail my you know process in any way shape or form i was certainly going every week and was going to go and get through this and get my confirmation and get my bible and get my cross on a, a you know little silver or gold cross on a necklace given to me by everybody and get a new suit and go for the ceremony and you know it was it was happening it was a foregone conclusion that was definitely going to happen but um you know, while we were there, that was when, you know, that's when the, the questions start, you know, uh, arising. You know, how did, you know, how did Mary have Jesus if she had never been with her husband? Um, you know, how could Jesus really die and, and on the cross and be buried and left for three days alone in a cave and, and come back and live amongst his disciples for, I think it was 40 days afterwards? Um, you know, the flood myth. Moses and the parting of the great seas. I mean, there's miracle upon miracle that begs, you know, beggars the imagination and begs discussion, uh, if you're a young, you know, slightly skeptical um, you know, student of these teachings. And, you know, so when you ask that question first in a circumstance or a setting like Sunday school or catechism, the first answer you get is the glib answer, you know, the well we have to take it on faith or um, well, we know it's true because it was this is the Word of God and um, you know as as handed down you know through the prophet's uh, lips and quill onto these you know protected sacred texts that cannot be wrong. Uh, that's the, you know that's the pat answer that you'll get. And upon not accepting that answer or upon further, Uh, grilling, you know, of that answer you'll then you know, that will give way to sort of a polite evasion, you know, sort of answer, uh, well you know, we can't know for sure but this is the interpretation that we have and we feel this way because of that and so let's move on, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know if that's not a good enough answer for you at a certain point um, and you keep pushing You know, at a certain point, you run into a bit of exasperation, right? Um, At least I did. Uh, Never anything malicious by any of these uh, teachers. Um, Just sort of a lack of an ability to rise to the occasion or a lack of a desire to rise to the occasion to engage on that level with maybe, you know, a 12, 13-year-old kid who um, is... You know, probably need to just ask these questions for themselves for a while longer and get to a place of their own understanding. So, you know, I might have been mad at my Sunday school teachers and my ministers a little bit back in the day for their inability to deal with me on this stuff. But, you know, as an adult, you get to a place where you start to figure that sort of stuff out a little bit more. Um and understand that you know some of these things are things that we are meant to ask and not necessarily have an answer to and that we need to sit with for a bit and grapple with. And maybe one day we'll feel like we got somewhere. Um, and maybe not. Um, so... Yeah, so, you know, started asking tough questions at around that that 13-year-old age. Um, Soon after that, within about a year, we moved out west to Seattle, Washington. I was 14, going on 15. Um, We moved to a new church. It was ostensibly an Episcopal church um, here in Kent, Washington, St. James Church in, in Kent, Washington, Uh, Lovely church and a lovely community, I'm sure, to this day. Um, It was, you know, a church built in the 1970s as opposed to in the 1700s, like the historical Long Island St. George's church that I had come from, complete with gigantic pipe organ um, and balconies and red velvet upholstery everywhere. Everything was painted white, natural wood and red carpets everywhere. I mean, it really looks Roman Catholic inside these older Episcopal churches. Come out here to Seattle, Washington, on the other hand, you know, and they've got a drum set in the corner and electric guitars and a bass. And, you know, there's an organ, but it's a Wurlitzer, you know, and it's plugged into the wall. And the lady does play some tunes on it, but, you know, they also rock out with the the much more modern music ensemble at times as well. And, uh, you know although that church didn't go too hard for that stuff um it did sit a little bit odd with me right from the start um you know just hearing anything other than you know really traditional gospel music and choral you know choir type arrangements um you know was was a shock for me um and as i said the church was you know what you know over 100 years younger than the church i came from and uh so anyway, you know, here I am, Washington State. Move out here to this new to this new state, join this new church community, join their youth group. All us kids are a couple years older. And I ask all my same tough questions to this group. And again, to their credit, they were unwaveringly kind, compassionate, nothing weird or untoward about this particular church community, pretty low key, low, you know, low touch kind of uh, Christians, um, and uh, pretty traditional. But you know, they had their young life vibe going on. They had their youth group going, and they were trying to, you know, build a, a community. Uh, and I thought at that age that you know that meant that we could be young philosophers and young, you know, biblical scholars and, and ask tough questions. And, and indeed, you could. It wasn't like anybody wasn't going to let you. But I was one of the only ones uh, asking—well, I was the only one that I knew of asking the kinds of questions that I was at the time. And again, just ran into the same kind of, you know, first the glib answer, then the polite but evasive answer, and then, you know, slowly but surely eventually, you know, some version of exasperation with my lines of questioning or lack of faith or inability to, you know, accept the answers as, as they were given. So, um. That came, you know, to a head with me over the next year or so to the point where at some point soon after that, you know, sat my parents down, had big talks with both of them. My father wasn't really the practicing uh, Christian in the household. My mother was the one who held that, you know, banner up for everybody and, and kept that tradition and learning alive for us all. Um, and so, you know, my dad who was raised Roman Catholic, but only really showed up on holidays for mom when she, you know, kind of said, Hey, we're going as a family. It's Easter Sunday, whatever, you know, kind of scene. Um, you know, he wasn't the one to fight me too much. You know, he couldn't really do much one way or the other. And, you know, my poor mom, you know, didn't have any better answers for me than they did it at at church (laughs) for my many, many questions. And, uh, you know so amidst a lot of promises to continue you know searching for you know my spiritual truth and everything uh on my own uh which incredibly i meant and i've kept that promise my entire life in terms of continuing to study both western religion and and eastern philosophies um very informally and you know on no kind of directed curriculum whatsoever but very much, I believe passionately through throughout my life. Uh, I've continued to look into these matters. They've always been amongst my chiefest interests. They are, you know, religion and spirituality are the things that make people tick and that make so many people do so much of what they do every single day. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, or seemingly so to us, depending on our perspectives and depending on the timing. Um it's important stuff, whether we believe it's veracity in terms of the scriptures of the Bible or the Quran or the Talmud or the Dhammapada or the Dao de Jing, Chang also known as Lao Tzu. Taoism in particular is one that's resonated strongly with me over the years. We'll spend some time talking about that later in future episodes. I would love to share some of the things that I've come to love about Taoism with all of you. and Maybe a few of you will pick up a copy of the Tao sometime. Um, absolutely amazing book to have in your collection and very, very accessible to the Western mind. it um, has been some excellent translations, never let the fact that a book has been translated, perhaps sometimes over and over again, you know, from a source language to an intermediate language to now to English, don't let it stop you. Read the books anyway. The people who put the effort in to translate those texts put their, you know, entire souls often into doing everything they could to faithfully translate those texts and even where errors exist on the whole the net value, the net benefit of spending time in those texts is definitely there. will be there for you. So yeah, you know, argued with mom promised her I would keep studying and, and, and sort of left the church behind at that point in time. Um, and, uh, left sunday church attendance behind but as i said never never left reading about and ruminating on and talking with my friends about and literally spending large chunks of my you know free internet random searching time hanging out time on the internet you know in places looking at things about All the same stuff that I was learning about as a kid in Sunday school growing up. And looking at it in different lights and holding it up at different angles and turning it inside out and standing it on its head. So, anyway, I guess that's it for my explanation as to why I think I'm qualified at all to even be so impertinent as to ask my good friends to... Open up a can of worms about an interesting and fraught at, in certain ways time of their lives um, you know where they were in the midst of their own literal spiritual you know journey, the journey looking for it, looking for the thing, looking for the community looking for the community that I'm still looking to somehow get back to the community that I was sad to, step away from when I stepped away from the church. Because as I said, it was a beautiful community. And it was, uh, the experience that I had was uniformly positive. If it weren't for strong philosophical differences that I felt couldn't be reconciled with me, the the stuff about the resurrection and some of these specifics are, are not by any means the whole picture. We're talking about dogma here. We're talking about you know the ways things go wrong with what we take away from our teachings on Sunday mornings. We're talking about you know original sin and the guilt that goes along with that and and everything else that needs to be asked and answered in some way for each of us before we can you know say that okay, we're here. We've chosen to stay. We've chosen to accept the word and whatever it might be and everything that goes along with it and to keep its teachings. Um, You know, serious stuff. So um, I've been interested in the Mars Hill story for a long time. Um, I'm going to transition here to reading Adam's statement sort of about, just sort of his feelings after having chatted with us. And um, then what we're going to do is roll right on in to the conversation. We're going to let the guys talk. It was candid. It wasn't scripted or directed. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll just do that (laughs) and uh, I guess yeah I guess where I'm going with that is we play it we listen to it we sit with it a little bit Um, we have the whole second session it's going to be part two and we're going to put that out right after it Um, the beginning of that episode I'm going to do a little bit of the housekeeping, other baked and awake topics that I want to include in this time period, our episode part one, part two set up. But yeah, but that'll be for tomorrow, I think. So I'm going to read you a statement from my good friend Adam Schaefer. And uh, he starts off at the, at the top. It says here, 36 years of human existence compressed into a single page. Well, we'll see how he did. I've already learned a lot about myself by opening up this chapter of my past. Distancing myself from the church has been one of the defining experiences of my life. I tried in vain to fit myself into that mold for many years because I was aware that it would most likely lead to a happier, smoother relationship with my family. Ultimately, it was not an authentically held belief, so I had to move a different direction. And it has been a lonely path as I slowly built a new identity. It's quite astonishing how powerful our minds can be when it comes to the relationship between our mental health and our social structures. It's as if we have a higher mind above our standard functional mind. And it can convince us to subscribe to a particular reality if it's deemed to be the richer social environment even if the higher mind doesn't really believe in the core elements of said reality. To tie into the theme of this podcast, cannabis played a significant role in helping me understand my multi-tiered mental hierarchy. I suppose that's why they call it getting high. It allows me to step outside and above my normal functioning mind, to observe a broader reality. My next phase is to try and strip the identity I built down to its bare essentials. It was necessary to build something strong, independent, and somewhat intimidating that could survive a solitary existence. Recent personal and spiritual growth has me pressing up against the limitations of my armor, so it must come off if I'm to continue my evolution. Part of this growth is recognizing my own judgmental nature and attempting to be more tolerant of humans with different perspectives than my own. That brings me back to the topic that we're focusing on Mars Hill and the emotional trauma that many of its members suffered. At the time it was falling apart, I really couldn't care less, which in hindsight was a bit harsh. I had left the church years prior and took a stance of superiority towards the whole thing. It's still difficult not to see it as the inevitable result of Building a system on faith, but regardless of why or how, the victims still deserve our compassion and empathy. Receiving a bit of grace and support myself, as I've gone through some recent emotional and existential crises, has given me a fresh perspective. We're all human, all trying to make our best sense out of this incarnation. Sometimes that means we hurt other people. And sometimes that means other people hurt us. I think the goal shouldn't be to focus on blame or retribution, but to understand that this too is simply part of the human life experience. That no matter how hard we try, we won't ever be the perfect version of ourselves. This is where I deviate from religion. Instead of asking a God to forgive us, we simply need to forgive ourselves. We as humans need to understand that all of us have the capacity for pure good and pure evil. And that we do the best we can with the tools that we find ourselves equipped with at each moment of our lives. It's easy for victims to say that they can never do something like what Mark Driscoll did. But they don't know what it was like to be him at that point in his life. For him, maybe that was the best he could do with what he had to work with. Maybe that means he shouldn't have been leading tens of thousands of people and controlling millions of dollars in funds. That speaks to the greater dysfunction of the church in general. (laughs) I like this next part. Timothy Leary quoting Ralph Waldo Emerson Don't look to the churches or the big marbled institutions. Your divinity lies within. You must learn to operate your brain. Operate your soul. Learn how to communicate brain to brain and soul to soul with other people. Your divinity lies within. I understood this concept implicitly before I ever read this quote. I know this sounds like my judgmental side, but I think of it more as a personal mantra. Instead of something to bestow upon those around me. If a religious structure works for you and your life, then you should pursue that with authenticity and zeal, while hopefully maintaining a heightened awareness of any manipulation. But you shouldn't feel like it's the only way to satisfy a deep, internal desire for a spiritual relationship with all the energy swirling around the universe. We need not look at ourselves as separate from this energy in fact it is exactly what comprises every fiber of our being well said Adam and thank you thank you and thank Douglas for both of you and your time hanging out with me I really enjoyed it and uh I don't think we're done yet at all um This conversation I hope will open many doors for discussion for each of us And uh, I really hope I'll hear from a few of you You know, just on your thoughts for this episode, this topic The larger topics that we're alluding to by introducing this here and now Yeah Let's see where we go So, uh, after I hit pause here, you'll hear a short silence, and then it's gonna pop right into our chat with Douglas and Adam. This is part one of two of the Reflections on Mars Hill Church episode of the Baked and Awake podcast. Thank you, everyone. Smoke indica, and do shit anyway.
1: Oh, jeez. And, like, these two little tufts of hair, like, he had the little, the wingies kind of hanging on. I don't know. It was weird, man. And he was just standing right in the front. And this show was so loud. Like, I don't even understand how he could stand it. He's just standing right in the front, just standing there. yeah. And it was like, we were all kind of hovering in the wings just to make sure that nothing, nothing got out of hand. But, yeah, I would do the counter at the door. I would just click the people in. I would just go there at night, you know, after work and. And just kind of hang out. I watch a show for free or whatever, and that was kind of the deal. Um, but huh. yeah, it uh, and then they would have church there, and that's where I started. That's where I went to church a lot. Um, they would actually have services there. So, dude, that place really, I think, really captured the early element of what Mars Hill was all about. They would have like these old, like red vintage drapes, and just really like everything was candle lit. Um, it was like almost like medieval. Like it had a a very I don't know. They were trying to achieve something to like bring people into a mindset through set and setting, and I mean they achieved it in at the, to a level that was like impossible to deny when you would show up because you just instantly were folded into the like a very reflective mood. Yep. you just couldn't avoid it. Um, it wasn't like
0: a regular place. It wasn't some it wasn't happy, like bubbly cafe, person cafe, greeting yeah. you at the door. It wasn't a cafe with, that with, you just stepped in off the sidewalk.
1: I think we have...
0: Do we? Yeah.
1: Maybe. I hear doors.
0: Hello? Look at this guy!
1: Oh, my God! My Is he making it? He's, like,
0: on two feet. Hey!
2: As much <laughs> And
0: when you're in the groove on the stationery, you almost feel like yourself for a second again, too, don't you? Oh, yeah, I
2: mean, it's that natural uh, body motion. Or what seems natural to you. Know. Alright, welcome.
0: Hello, dude.
1: Good to see you up, <laughs> man. That's awesome. That's a big change since last time I saw you.
0: So there's some snacks over here, there's some snacks over there. Got cold drinks right at your feet. You can put yours in there too. And
1: uh, was that a better bag- Was did you have like? Should I jump over to a? Did you have? A, you know
0: a what? Layout? I have this on for yeah. the moment. So okay. let's let's lay some sure, basically like some ground understandings, not expectations or anything, guys. Of course. Um, I really, I will not put this episode out until I'm ready. So I will do a bonus episode if I have to, and tell everybody, fuck you. Wait two more weeks. <laughs> Got it. So, uh, because I already began writing my intro to this, okay. I, I expect actually what I may do is I may really lay the groundwork for this for people. I may talk for as much as an hour about Mars Hill before I ever bring in the audio of yeah. us sitting here talking.
1: I mean, that's the thing Good that I—that's the thing I came to—is yep. like so much of it is simply just breaking down, like start, like establishing a timeline of how the church started, evolved, maintained what I would consider to be a, a fairly legitimate execution of its intended like its original mission yep for quite a while. Yep. I feel like it really kind of did what they were shooting to do for It, it was effective in what they were, were going for. Um, and then there was a turning point um, where money and power became uh, available. Uh, and when you and so the lot of what my mom focuses on is delving into the psychology behind uh, Mark Driscoll, the head of the church, uh, and kind of his background, his upbringing, and it's kind of like cheers, cheers. you know, the uh, very difficult for somebody who came up in like a pretty poor working class abusive family that when there was an opportunity like that presented to them for them to not take it. I don't want to generalize or stereotype that, but that was kind of, that was part of, I think, what the guy.
0: I mean, we're talking about a guy who's still a pastor today somewhere.
1: He's, and the, 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 the
2: Arizona wasn't?
1: Yeah. Is it uh,
0: Arizona? I thought uh, it was Canada again. Uh, No, he's, he's in the States,
1: yeah. and one of the interesting things is, like, the platform of Pathias.com. I don't know if you saw that at all. <laughs> so that's I, – I got I, – I think I, I texted you the, the guy. His name's is Warren Throckmorton. Thoc- okay. He uh, – Yes. He's, like, a, a – like, a – like, a – whatever. A theology, theological – yeah, the, theologian scholar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um And he was – he documented, like, very, in a very detailed way, the downfall of Mars Hill as it was happening. And he has a blog that's that's got a lot of really good information. But um, Mark has a platform on Patheos now, like the irony, because that's where Warren like totally took apart everything, and now Mark is on. He's that, there. He's on that platform, and it's it's kind of interesting that they let him, they, they gave him space, because a lot of people complained about that when it happened. Like they didn't want him on there. There's been a lot of. He's a
0: bully. He is a bully. You give him a little bit of uh, forum, and he'll he's take. Going to have a lot of talk. He'll take whatever. So, and this is is what I'm excited about, is that we're going to have some incredible opportunity to talk about this. Anybody who doesn't know about Mars Hill, which surprisingly, perhaps surprisingly, there are many, many people who have no fucking idea, right?
1: (laughs) And it was a big news story.
0: Right. And so, because of of the transience of its presence, even though it wasn't a flash in the pan, it wasn't an overnight uh, thing by any means, um, but it was an era. And it was an era that is also in our rear view now. And it's a few years in all of our collective rear view as a region. In fact, all the other bigger churches in here in the region probably would love it if we all forgot about it forever. Um, It has a
1: bit you know, it's one of, because so many people were touched by it, I I believe it really did have a large effect in reducing the overall church population, I would guess. I mean, there's no no matter the, uh, yeah, Dominion. No matter no matter where you're going or what what you're a part of, I don't imagine
2: that there's any way that it wouldn't have had an effect. I came this close to visiting, like at the old building today. Really, it's just like, hmm. I got time to kill. Roll by. What is it? <laughs> Do we know what it is now? Uh, you know, I don't know for certain, but it, I I have a an idea that it's likely shards of the original. Somebody that wanted. It's, it's still a church. If I remember correctly, it's it's actually the guys that were down the road on Elliott uh, have uh, known as Quest. It's I think they upgraded. Day. It's still a church. It's a church. Okay. What used to be an Ernst uh, big ass church. Oh yeah. Dollar. Uh,
1: so yeah, I mean that place for me was when I started. to, I mean realistically, I would say that's when I really started to become uncomfortable. Was the whole nature of that location. <laughs> um, I mean, I was uncomfortable before that, and I got out of it for my own reasons that we can go into. So, but the when when you roll in there, dude, they had like a DJ spinning in the corner, and everything was just so polished. Seattle gentrified before Amazon was even here. All those people were going to fucking Mars Hill. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it just had this sheen to it that just had a it had a bad taste, man. It was like. Compared to like it was telling you about that the one that where they used to have the university village or universe, the university theater on the app, when they would have services there, like I said, it was candlelit, old drapes and rugs, like everything had this dirty patina. It was like working class, like no, like I mean, it was pretentious in
2: a way, but like not really. I don't know. It just I kind of wonder how much they trumped that too, because I mean, you say working class, and I mean, I worked with guys that were. You know, floor makers, pilers, whatnot, like from from that church, and it's like I'm pretty sure a lot of that was volunteer work too. It's just top-notch interior decorating because
1: sure. Jesus,
0: <laughs> because Jesus, <laughs> because Jesus. <laughs> so, so, all right. So I was asking Adam, and so Joel, for the purposes of this uh, recording, and for the purposes of posterity, for that matter, because you know we've we've discussed this, and I know that you have you know taken pity on me and uh, told me that I I don't have to worry about it I can call you Joel because I know you as Joel first but would you prefer to be Douglas for the purposes of the discussion I very, I still prefer
2: easy. to be called Douglas because okay. lar- uh, a large part of this story really has to do with that identity it's really interesting okay so I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was separate that's what if it was asking, uh yeah. before and so very <laughs> very good I remember to that's when it changed. understand yeah, okay I remember, I remember that's when the changed. It is tricky, because yeah. uh, friends, young and old, and then, like, of course, family uh, yeah. can't get over calling Me Joel. That's and hard. you come from the old school, so yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah, that's right. Here, is this you? Do you mind? One, one second. Sorry, I want to get this a little closer to you guys. will try. But, yeah, the, uh... Yeah, stars. starts.
0: But yeah, I mean, okay, I, think, I second second think the
2: guys, what's going on? It kind of changed over time too. Though. you were talking about the power structure with the elders and whatnot. Yes. And I think they were there they were very genuine Christians. Oh, there. dude,
1: that was the problem. <clears throat> like these were good, nice-hearted people that were that they were.
2: They they were in, in my own way, kind of taking ownership of of what I learned in Bible college and from working at a church like that. Uh, there's no shame in name changes, and I didn't even have to change my name. It's my first and my middle name, mm-hmm. and it makes a lot of sense. In retrospect, uh, Joel is Hebrew for declarer of God, and Douglas is is more Celtic, Scottish, that means uh, from the dark waters. And so I, I feel for a Seattleite that went through a crisis of faith, that sure. <laughs> works out pretty damn well. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it is.
0: I'm gonna start you guys off with that guy. No, 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 right no. Here. Dude,
2: I can smell the giant in forever. <laughs> oh
0: my god, this is gonna destroy me. So they'll they'll have to deal with the uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of fan noise, but it's not it, I've I've ran it many times during episodes and I think overall as long as I don't make a big deal about it, hardly anybody even notices it. I was gonna it's say, Tom. like
2: having words at a church recording board, soundboard,
0: yep. I appreciate your editorial isn't like, it funny? Could, so it's like, only people who have grappled right with here. it who <laughs> like <laughs> 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 get a chuckle out of it and still find it Because like I think like lay people are like, Oh my god, blah blah blah, A V squad fucking geeked them, I don't want to hear it, you know. <laughs> just turn like, on your microphone and record something, you know. How
1: hard it, can it be? Well, exactly. that's what I mean that's what I think <laughs> the assumption is we yep. can just record it. Don't you do that on your phone? You can't just like...
0: Well and, and a person absolutely can. Podcasts off of their phone sure. if they want to. They can and and you know because it is about the content, not about you know the production quality, except to the point where things become a distraction. Yeah. Obviously, okay, right? Everything can be tolerated up to a point, right? So, um, you know, I I really want to, like I said to you guys already, we're not, you know, there's no there's no purpose sir, for a cold person who's listening to the podcast to come in. And hear me for five minutes say, Yo, Mars Hill was a church, and it ran from fucking 1905 to 2005 in the Pacific Northwest, and then it fucking blew up. It was crazy. Now I'm going to talk to my friends about it. No. We're going to talk about why I even give a shit about this in the first place. Which I'd be curious to hear, for sure. Okay, you know, stuff that you guys probably don't know about me. Raised Episcopalian, okay, Uh, raised Episcopal back on Long Island, New York. Grew up in a black church in Hempstead, New York. Um, historic church one of the oldest churches on long island no no weirdness no shittiness in this church whatsoever completely positive upbringing church experience in that episcopal church these motherfuckers were on point cool people cool families it was actually you know couldn't
2: couldn't, yeah
0: really couldn't complain about this upbringing this episcopal yeah. upbringing um it was confirmed in everything did begin distancing myself from the church at around uh, confirmation years because as a young adolescent, I began to have all the questions that every young adolescent does have about Jesus and the resurrection and all just the simple, like, black and white. This doesn't seem like regular God. science, you guys. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, so in fairness to my... Youth pastor at the time, my uh, catechism Sunday school teachers, and my, um, you know, church's you know top pastor minister. At a certain point, you've got a whole bunch of students who you're trying to bring through their development as you know young Christians and who are about to be confirmed. Uh, somebody like me almost no matter what answer a youth pastor is first off trained enough in the first place and second off prepared to dive into with somebody else's kids right but they don't know whose parents are going to come back and holler at them about it the extent to which they could really chop it up with my questions was not real satisfactory to me um, and the you know the main minister of the church even he you know he either didn't see enough of a crisis of faith in me at the time, or he also knew on some level that, well, my family was getting ready to move that very summer across mm. country. And, you know, really wasn't anything he could solve for me that summer anyway, one way or the other. So, you know, I was maybe just going to be on my own to sort it out out here. And we got out here. All four. You know, <laughs> get out here, join a church in Kent, St. James, an Episcopal church in Kent. You know, utterly lackluster, utterly sterile. None of the history that came from our church back east. Um, That's going to be hard. You know, I mean... It felt very um, fluffy and new agey to me compared to a, you know, St. George's Episcopal Church with a fucking giant pipe organ from the, you know, 1600s this motherfucker was built or some shit. You know what I mean? Um, this is how old this thing is, and, uh, and you come out here, and there's some church built in the 90s, you know, with a lot of wood paneling, and, you know, like, nouveau, uh, you know, late 20th century Jesus depictions up on the walls and stuff like that. American um, You know, I mean, <laughs> hey, it's a beautiful place, it's still yeah. a church, it's still evidently a church and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's a thing, but... You know, I was in trouble because I was not getting what I needed vibe-wise out of that place or youth group-wise or anything-wise, you know, once I got out here, you know. So at around the age of 15, 16, what I had was two, three years of consistently lacking answers coming from anybody of authority on my spiritual, you know, challenges and and questions. Um, And then we moved out here and relocated, and, and, you know, the church itself was just really not even inspiring to me. So my mother, you know... Tried really hard to keep us all still going to church, but I was the first one to really rebel at that point and be like, "I just don't want to go anymore," you know. And it took quite a bit of, uh, you know, finagling and fighting with them to get yeah, out of it. My dad was not, you know, so my my dad was never involved in the church. This was always my mom who mm-hmm. raised us up in the church. My dad would go on Christmas, on Easter, a couple other times a year, like the dutiful East Coast dad who's like, "Whatever, I'll fucking go on Christmas if you want me to," you know. That being said, your dad would have got his balls busted
2: at Marcel. <laughs> he I mean, like you know showing up with the family on the
0: uh, holiday. Day oh, like he probably. I mean, in a in a culture like that, <laughs> he wouldn't go at all. You know, the only reason yeah. why guys like that get away with that is because of old traditional churches that yeah. don't place that expectation on every member of the family. They're like, hey, we're here, we're always here, we're always going to be here, they whoever give him comes, the comes. For being you know. a
2: family man who's doing his work right. in the first place. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: But, you know, he, he was never part of our spiritual upbringing. You know, he was not a, um, a uh, religious guy himself. But, so, while I left the church formally at, you know, the age of... I've
1: not ever dealt with a person like this, like, or a situation like this. They were used to dealing with people, I think, on a very literal, like, I believe in telling the truth, so I believe that the person who's talking to me is doing the same thing. And I know I... am. I, like that. I'm like that in a lot of ways, and sometimes I get taken advantage of because of it. Uh, and I think these guys got taken advantage of um, at that certain tipping point um, when they when he he amassed power into just the three individuals at the top, him Sutton and I forget the third Boy? guy. Yeah. Well. No. This he was already Leaf was Leaf was out of it. Well, he
2: did kind of take an early eject, in the... Well, and he's he's struggled with his own issues, like, um, but. Yeah, I mean, the... sorry. Uh, for those unaware, uh, Leaf Moy was one of the elders at one point. One of the founders. He was a founding. Elders, he was really. him and
1: Mark were the found. I mean, it was him and Mike, him, Mark and Mike Gunn. I
2: think were. I don't know if it was all three of them. That was kind of the funny thing about the waves in the pond. Like, uh, he got called out for some sort of disciplinary eldership sort. of You're thing. that? Back yeah, earlier. I mean, and that's, and that was the thing is they would they would. And so then everybody started calling each other out.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's the network key.
1: Like, they would, uh, yeah, I mean, if you had, like, an issue with your marriage or something, like, people would get called out on that kind of stuff. Because they had to live, you know, they had to live what they were
2: saying. Yeah, I apologize for Jeff. he wanted to be here, uh, but he had other
0: plans. You know what? What the only reason why I've been as lukewarm on involving him as I have is look at this oh, exact yeah. scene. And where, I imagined that. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I was like, how many guys do you want to get on the mic?
0: Yeah. That's all yeah. it comes yeah. down to. And then yeah. and then me sure. being able to capture the audio reasonably. Right. Um, so, as a matter of fact, uh, what I was just doing a moment ago, which is why I handed that back to you and, and fobbed that back off on you, sorry, is uh, I, I was going to briefly check... Right and do the slightest bit of uh, playback. It's funny because uh, I, I have a feeling we were recording in the middle of the other recording. So we had like five to ten minutes of recording. Okay. Then we paused because the thing went black on us. Yep. So when I came back in, I think I moved the cursor. Oh. So I think You're the tracking's the off. Like, I'm just like doing crazy on, shit. There's crazy we, shit going on over here, yeah. you guys. Crazy fucking shit. So, no, it must be fun, though. Did you um, learn a lot
2: at the podcast?
0: You know what? Um... Yes and no. <laughs> okay. Um, similarly Sounds to similar imagine, imagine going <laughs> to interbike for the first time, yeah. Douglas. Okay, yeah. how much are you really going to fucking learn at interbike at this right. stage of the game, bro? You know I'm what I mean?
2: I'm learn where the longest lines are. That's right.
0: About it. You know. You, you, so so. Were there tidbits? Absolutely. Just like at any good trade show. Um, was I glad I went? Absolutely. I met new people. I handed off a card about my show to lots of people. I'll probably get a few listens because of it. Yeah. Maybe a review or two from a fellow podcaster. Right on. That's fine. Um, and, I mean, uh, I'll get something different out of it in the future. Uh, I left early today to come home and get ready for this with no regrets whatsoever and feeling like I spent just as much time there this weekend as I needed to. Yeah. Um, and got as much out of it as I needed to, uh, for a first, uh, for a first uh, con. Yeah. So.
1: I tend to think trade shows are kind of like that. You kind of just have to. Yeah, you never know what you're gonna do.
0: Yep.
2: It's recon and networking. Yep.
1: Never hurts. Although, man, I only needed a few trips to New not want to go back. Right. To be Never been on it, so uh, I'm gonna yeah, yeah, keep yeah, moving it sure. in. Keep
0: moving it in on you guys. Yep, you guys move out a little bit. Let me move that in as far as I can get it. Yep. Oh closer there. There we we go. Exactly. Cool. We'll see if that gets even better. Um don't not relax, but indeed when you sit up, that thing will pick you up better for sure. Got it. Um, because, I mean, this is really expecting you to sing a song into it, or you're a broadcaster who's fucking chilling place. at this, yeah. you know, at this space. You know, For the, the that's what these poor mics are trying to work with. That's who they think they've got in front of them. They don't think that you're three feet away smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? But.
2: It'd be cool to hear this.
0: Well, so, let's see here recording. All right, we're back. We're recording again. Um, so things I have to do to make sure things go right. I need to keep my headphones on, put them back on. I've done this in the past where I t- took my headphones off and left them off the whole time with me and George and the episode was fucking terrible. <laughs> terrible. 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 What is this delightful? <laughs> Hot buttered rum. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, done right. I'm only used to versions I guess.
0: Isn't that a wonderful uh, concoction? Yes. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, uh, speaking of wonderful concoctions, would you mind handing me a nice cold rainier out of that uh, cooler there? Um, oh, no, our fireplace ended. We need to start the fireplace back up. There's rainyers in there. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, let's settle down. Let's settle down. Right? Right? Thanks, George.
1: Thanks for creating the
0: fireplace. Yes, really, seriously, George Ford.
2: Congratulations,
0: (laughs) George. That was a a badass fire Uh, so I'm gonna, yeah, let's see here. Hoping we're catching some reasonable sound. Um, sitting down tonight with my friends Adam Schaefer and Douglas Moreland, uh, two good friends of mine who, uh, actually, interestingly, so we haven't talked about this at all, really, other than in the, in the most passing of ways, and I find this funny. So we are most assuredly... If anybody were to ask us how we know each other, why we know each other, we would all say one thing. Riding. Bikes, right? <laughs> bikes. Or bike, right? Or bike industry. Okay, yep. Yeah. Um, What's Steve? You know, there we go. <laughs> I mean, and so, but at, at the most basic level, bikes, you right. know? Um, absolutely. And the funny thing is, it's is, mountain uh, mountain bikes. absolutely. Very specifically, mountain yeah. bikes, you know?
2: Off-road. the other church if you will congregation
0: Exactly totally church right the dirt, the dirt, church. dirt church So uh Adam Douglas and I have known each other probably for a good decade at this point at least uh you know just on that front on mountain bikes and um the, it's while while I can also say we have never all three of us been on dirt together at the same time anywhere ever Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you know, no, I think this will be this will be remedied. This will be remedied. Sure. But it's so funny because, you know, I know Adam can go fast on a bike and go down crazy shit. I know Douglas can go, and go and I know I can go fast on a bike and go down crazy shit. And I know I can go fast on a bike and go down crazy shit. And we all know all the same friends who we've all ridden with over the years. All of us have rode with each other's riding buddies somewhere along the line, some of them. Somewhere yeah. along the lines. Um or raced. It yeah. you know?
2: It's amazing how interconnected it is. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch
0: of folks that I out So funny. So people. funny. Well no, absolutely. Catchy, I mean, Folkin,
2: just like There
0: you go.
1: There.
0: I was gonna ask you, uh, do you ever uh, hear from Scotty or yeah. uh occasionally you so know? He,
1: he's got got a lot on his plate as mm-hmm. a family man
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah every once in a while um you know we're, we're friends on facebook and, and uh talks. jesus the other so darren, partner darren, Derek, darren. darren brown jesus he's not on social media so it's a little mm-hmm. tougher but we we still talk um and he'll come by the shop every once in a while when he's in the area um, he's he's more into moto uh dirt bikes now hmm. um, that's kind of his his thing he transitioned kind of I, mean, I think he's still got bikes and he still rides uh, from time to time, but I'd, I'd say he probably
0: enjoys moto more. Uh, what is he like? An enduro guy?
1: Um, I mean, no, no trail racing, riding but, guy. Yeah, trail yeah, riding. Yeah, yeah. No, so just long distance backcountry trail riding mainly.
0: Huh. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I ride a lot of motorcycles, so right. it's actually slightly surprising to me that I didn't know yeah. that he did that and that he was around the area still. But well, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's in Seattle. I mean, you know, it's easy to forget though that. As small as both of those communities are We're just talking about how small it is At the same time There's that many more motorcyclists Than there even are mountain bikers In, in the Pacific Northwest Believe it or not yeah. You know In the grand scheme of things It's a small community for sure um, So We know each other from bikes We know each other from bike riding um, And we've been talking Tonight a little bit About Uh uh, church that both of you were members of uh, in its heyday in its prime, the Mars Hill Church uh, uh, widely considered to be an early example of uh, and one of the realest examples of the mega church model that we've that we've seen though, Versions of this existed before that, uh, you know, going all the way back to tent revival, you know, tradition on on some level. And there's um, big Omega churches throughout the country. I mean, sure, this is a big phenomena for the Pacific Northwest, right, right though. Here it was. Fair to say, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: you consider that Seattle's the second least church city in the
0: country. Absolutely, and and by the time you know, I chop this into an episode, as I said to you guys earlier, I will have spent a little bit of time giving folks this. You know a little bit more of the backstory, but you know we haven't. I haven't asked you guys this. Okay, I've got I've got these great resources that we've been looking at online that I'm, you know, excited to dig into. You brought some stuff, Douglas. You brought some thoughts and some. You know, maybe just you've looked at that already. Maybe you've preloaded the. You know, the old cerebral cortex. There we go. Um, But uh, help me understand where you guys trace back the origin of Mars Hill. Adam, we were talking about it a little bit before Douglas got here. Um, But when do we understand Mars Hill as a thing to have really begun in and and started to look like the the church that was to become Mars Hill?
1: I mean, and also I just want to be clear, uh, I was never a member i was never an official member. Interesting. I went to I went to Mars Hill for a long period mm-hmm. of time. I played music in their worship groups. I was actively involved in the church in a number of ways, but I never signed because there's a there was a, there's an actual document. Wow. That, like a, that's a, that's a it's almost written like a legal document that you sign and commit as an official member of the church. And when that happens, there's um, there's more expected of you. Both in your attendance, contributions, like hosting uh, community interesting. groups at right. your home, um, just you're expected to in, like engage actively as with the church as its. It, it almost becomes your primary social social circle. I Not, mean, that doesn't have to be, but uh, basically, it's how you get dates. It's, it's. I mean, like,
2: if you're thinking forward as a and you know, want to be get married, have kids, like everybody's like really thumping into a lot of that. Theology. When you become a
1: member, yeah. they they almost have a way to try to like courtship was a set deal. set set people up, and yeah. they, they not really. I mean, it was unofficial, but it was just it was healthy and encouraged for two for single members to, to get together and start families. Of course, um, and, and and not in like a implicit. Well, it's in the Bible, and we understand that this was like actively encouraged. Um,
0: well, and I mean, you would want to date other. Uh, folks who were like on the path, right? Same track, you know, same sure.
2: Yep.
0: <laughs> right. It's not that weird when you yeah, just yeah. think of it that way. That's no. not remotely. Uh-huh. It's not a weird thing.
1: I was uncomfortable with it when I read through it, so I didn't. I didn't sign it. Because,
2: Interesting. It, oh, the actual covenant. Yeah, because yeah. I just yeah. didn't. I guess I didn't feel like. Okay, so we call it a covenant. Yeah. This well, is the terminology. It's official. Like mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. these guys dug pretty hard. In in my background, if you want, I mean, I don't know if you want
0: me to catch that up. I want it all. I really so, do. I really I do. Put a pause on uh,
2: the, the Mars Hillship Covenant. Absolutely. The reason why I get that is when I grew up in the church, uh, my great, well, not great, uh, grandfather was a pastor, and then my dad was a pastor. And I tried to follow in his footsteps, too, so I went through all those hoops as far as uh, Bible college, and I wanted to be a flying missionary. Hell, that's why I got into planes before mountain bikes. Mountain bikes turned out to be better bang for buck. Uh <laughs> But uh, the the covenant thing—it's weird, man. They dug really deep on a lot of the Old Testament fundamentalism, as far as how you would uh, conduct your families and stuff. They really wanted to get tribal about it, in a way. And uh, losing my point here. Oh, but the covenant thing. So yeah, it was a contract. That you would sign, that you were going to conduct yourself in a certain way, uh, and the more involved you were, I mean, shoot, man, it's like pulling shifts because you'd be you'd be at church all damn day Sunday if you're really involved. Sure. Uh, well, I know I was with the you know it's like you do Sunday school, teach Sunday school, do security at mid morning while you're enjoying your coffee, and then you sit down for a sermon later that night, and it's it had a, a very strong community feel to it because it was an extended family so you had people to be around you had people to be vulnerable with mm-hmm. uh, prayer groups in a way were a form of therapy like these are positive things mm-hmm. i see in the christian religion but when you start <clears throat> taking where, when you got guys that are making serious power moves understanding the government of church and then you know pitting people against each other just or just being a bully in general that's where mark driscoll really started to shine was just like oh you don't like it when you
0: so let's um, – because we're going to get there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, not at all, not at all. <laughs> so because the covenant is really interesting to me and in in, in, a, in a way it's interesting to me because it seems so shocking. And then I recall to myself that, again, as I have already uh, described to you guys, I was raised in the church, in a traditional church. Now, when you're born into the church, you're baptized. There's some paperwork that goes along with that that your parents – fill out and sign and put in a book somewhere and everybody's very solemn about it and you wear a fucking gown from your great granny you go to church every sunday for 12 or 13 years and then you get uh go to catechism and get a whole bunch of you know additional uh education some would uh, uh in some cases characterize it as some indoctrination, you know, to layer on on top of the the habit that you've already built of showing up every Sunday since you were a kid. Now is the beginning of the philosophy being laid on on the kids, a lot of dogma in my, you know, traditional, very traditional Episcopalian uh, uh, version of this, okay? Um, But where I was going with that, guys, was that when you're confirmed, you recite a number of, you know, uh, catechisms. And these are more or less vows, you know, versions of vows, right? Yeah. That you're, you're <clears throat> more or less stating that I am, uh, you know, a young student of the Lord. And I have learned about, you know, the whether it's the, all the basics of the ABCs of what it is to be a Christian. You know, I know that Jesus was conceived of virgin birth. I know he died on the cross for my sins and came back after three days and uh, lived amongst his uh, disciples for 40 days afterwards, showing them, you know, proofs of his uh, resurrection and, you know, took bread with them and did miracles after his resurrection, etc., To cement, you know, his church on this earth and leave behind this teaching that we all keep now, you know, and I understand what, for example, communion is for, etc. Now, in addition to that, there are versions of or, you know, uh, aspects of what you say that also uh, indicate that you are cognizant of your responsibility to the community, that you will participate as an adult, henceforward. That you will uh, eventually tithe, okay? Uh, You know, okay. So this shit is in every version of these churches, and how orthodox you are or how hyphy you are about this in your particular denomination, in your particular sect, in your particular part of the country, you know, greatly varies. And in terms of the level of engagement of most of the parishioners, uh, it, you know, I would say on Long Island, New York, uh, with the kids who I grew up with, with the community that I grew up with, um, maybe you have a slow, eventual hardening in later middle age of folks who, you know, maybe have been in the neighborhood and do the. Uh, holidays and you know easy ones once a month uh, church appearances forever during their prime years you know they were brought up in the church but don't really go to it during their prime years and then they get a little older and they start going to church again later on in life right because they get the little fear of god into them and something to do and you know it's or, where their you community kids, is you get kids
1: in the family and it's just they see it as well we got to create some social structure you yep, got to do something
2: you got to give some people some so we'll hang out at home with these brats all
0: day well not for nothing <laughs> but you know that's absolutely true and also not and works, you know so, sure. well you know guys we wouldn't be sitting here talking about any of this if I didn't um no matter what qualms I had about the questions about the philosophy of christianity and and et cetera, uh and or the the veracity of the claims of some of the you know more far-fetched seeming and sounding aspects of the conception stories and the uh you know the 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 lengths of life of noah and his family and his lineage etc things like this right okay absolutely you know all those sort of things um no matter any of that excuse me um i miss the community i miss the the stories i miss The myths, I miss the lessons that were contained in them. I miss the incredible lessons that our minister would craft into his sermons week in and week out, year in and year out, because they really did work hard at, you know, doing that part of their job. Like our, you know, my, my upbringing and my recollection, you know, that Nicole, my wife, was raised entirely secular, really never went to church her entire life and really doesn't get any of this. Why I, as an adult, would still ponder these philosophical questions that I've grappled with as a young kid. Why I, as an adult, would still, you know, relentlessly and, and, uh, v- like voraciously consume any dumb, whether it's soft core or hard, long form documentary style, like Dead Sea Scrolls documentary or, um you know uh whether it's uh the age of the sphinx being called into question which would then fuck with all of biblical uh you know history by a couple of thousand years and if you shift everything by that couple of thousand years all of a sudden everything you know in in Egypt makes a whole lot more sense yeah, and you, you and start, start the the Moses connection to the you know to the pharaohs becomes a lot more sensible when you just go hey these guys these guys, way later, not the early guys, these guys at the fucking Council of Nicaea, they did something, you know, they missed, they did something to us here, you know, there's, there's, you know, so there's the conspiracy, Steve, is, have either of you guys heard about that, uh, the, the, theory about the like the missing thousand years yeah, I mean, something like that right graham, Han- graham Hancock, there you goes, go there you go there every, you go
1: every week he's got something and it's just humanity keeps getting older i
2: mean they keep finding more I'm this. To look this up. They oh keep, man so
0: yeah. you can we can you know you can hit me I've up been about on a that you know, a, you know so uh, religion diet lately okay, so uh, <laughs> go right ahead so downstairs bottom of the stairs uh, end of the hall on the right Yep, around the corner, end of the hall on the right. The light is over the toilet. you got to go in and reach for the wall straight ahead. You'll do it.
2: I'll have to look this guy
0: up. What's his name again? Oh, so uh, Graham Hancock is who uh, Adam's uh, talking about, and he is a really cool uh, historian, and uh, I believe he is a biologist, not a geologist. He's a biologist he has a lot of interest in geology and geological history of earth in particular. um, His like main gist, his shtick, I guess is, you know, his main thesis is that um, if you have to call him anything, you could call him like a catastrophist theorist of, of earth's history. And uh, he believes first off that like the flood myths, for example, which are present mm-hmm. not only in, you know, Christian mythology, but in sure. Mesopotamian and a bunch of other, you know, uh, uh, South American cultures have some uh, flood right. myths, etc. Right. So we got it all over the all Gildem- over the Gildem- world. Gildem- um, absolutely. <laughs> Epic of Gilgamesh Gildem- <laughs> um, being, you know, the most uh, the most uh, directly, you know, probably well-known uh, parallel and, you know, checks the most boxes and sure. is the oldest uh to the Noah myth, um, flood myth, Uh, that basically that event was probably based in historical fact. If we go ahead and look for evidence of that flood, uh, the clearest evidence that he can find and that he found that he didn't so much find as he correlated data that already existed from geologists, that showed some sort of meteor impact in like Russia-Alaska corridor that then came across North America and scattered all its shit out into the into the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Uh, so there's, you know, all those big shitty rocks that like you see like a giant rock in there's we have them here in the Pacific Northwest in Idaho and in Eastern Washington in particular. Uh, there are these like megalithic rocks that are sitting on a plane and it's a giant boulder that's many hundreds of tons or thousands of tons and nobody knows how it got here. Nobody knows how it and the two others that are, you know, in direct line with it, but, you know, 10 miles away and 40 miles away respectively. And, you know, you draw this line across the whole, you know, North American continent and then out into the ocean and, uh, what else is there? Uh, what is there is, uh, some metal alloys that come from meteor impacts only, some glass, you know, little, uh, micro, uh, particles in the sand and in the, in the, uh, loam of the soil, et cetera. There are some minerals in the soil in these regions that again are evident of a, uh, impact. And then you have some, other visual cues like sedimentary layers of rock and soil that have, you know, come in and been left behind after this, uh, what was said to be and understood to be an impact that occurred during an ice age period. The Younger dry Ass is the period that they referred to. And this is the biggest tangent ever, so we'll wrap it up <laughs> right about now. I'm following you. I'm um, following you. This event, when the meteor whatever it was that hit earth at that time yeah. according to him it melted so much fucking ice so fucking quickly hence catastrophists yeah. initially a uh, you know a term of derision applied to you know scientists that were you know putting forward theories like this uh because they're like where you look all around at the erosion that we see it is way too aggressive to have been slow over many millions of years it is it is a sudden uh, you know effect that occurred left behind a crazily changed landscape that then settled into its new you know uh life and timeline that was forever changed because umpteen cabillion million gallons of water and ice were quickly melted at this period of time hence our flood theory hence our flood mythologies excuse me um and um that basically if we simply call noah's flood that event and tie it back to that time period then humanity is more like 14,000, 15,000 years old maybe at the time of that but, I mean, event if, if, if,
1: Right, but I mean, that, you're talking about the young earth theory No, not necessarily. The well, not necessarily 10,000 to, 10 to 15,000 years for, for humanity is kind of in that
0: realm so, so And a lot of that stuff all, No, wait, so all Hancock would claim is that Noah's flood occurred at a certain time oh, sure. namely the younger dryas how long before that god created the earth is not you know per se being argued by his any of his okay. theories right we're talking about the age of Human civilization at a certain level of sophistication, that being one that could write the histories, including those of Noah and the contemporaries to him um, and the and the folks who came before him. Right. So the the records that we have that we work off of with the uh, biblical texts, uh, you know, date to only uh, so far back. Right. So that's the big thing that's uh, what's interesting about Graham Hancock and his whole uh theory and the the number of theories that he puts forward, okay? Um one of which that being about the North American rocks and the impact here at the Younger Dryas. Another one of which would be the um age of <clears throat> uh the sphinx to, water the, 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 the sphinx, sphinx, sphinx and the water damage and then sure. there's the um the two Sites in uh, the two new sites that they've been exploring—not right. new sites, but uh, yeah. I got the name on the uh, tip of my tongue. Um, was it in?
2: Was
1: it in Greece? Was it in Europe? I want to say it was. I mean, but you know, there's. T- 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 yeah, essentially, t- 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 no, it was Africa. Was it wasn't Africa? I'm behind in my. Argument. No, it's anyway, like anyway, uh, he uh, basically, the basically, there was just <laughs> there was recent report like it was a recent study that came out that just indicated they were they were a considerable amount off of what they had originally proposed an artifact was
0: age wise. A whole megalithic structure city by two to five thousand years off mm-hmm. or more.
2: Yeah, and it basically just kind of opened okay.
0: up more and more questions.
2: And there was yeah, there's two of those that happened. Well I mean the Giza and south america
0: the uh stuff absolutely you can't
2: reproduce that
0: right now not not you know for not (laughs) not without you know crazy uh effort resources and and impact of course exactly you know and it wouldn't go up overnight exactly either so but leave a print if you did so you know hugest tangent ever though and, and so to bring it back around no that's me that was me that was me um you know, uh, I,
2: I really do to stay on topic and get back on topic, so to say, I think the, the Judaistic God really is part of that mythology that could be is like, for all we know is that's God is an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Telling people where to go and what to do.
0: Um, so. Adam, you got involved with Mars Hill in your young adulthood. You were yeah. college-age guy. Your brother was involved,
1: too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was he
0: a member? Did he sign the covenant?
1: Oh, yes. No, my brother worked um, for, for Mars Hill for many
0: years. I mean, it is it cool to talk about that? We don't have to go into it, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we can. So. I mean, you know, it's,
1: it is what it is. Um, he, he, he's the one who got me into it um, because he had started going – um, uh, after, uh, he had, had some hard years, um, struggling with, uh, some, you know, some alcohol abuse and, um, you know, uh, and then just kind of trying to find direction in his life. And, um, going to Mars Hill was a, was a big part of that. That's really kind of where he, um, started to essentially put his life back together. And it was really powerful. I mean, regardless of how it worked out for him, um, you know, cause he's now in Atlanta, uh planting churches, essentially trying to grow churches, but um, it totally improved his life like it completely changed his life path from where he was to where he is now in the most positive, healthy way. so you know it's like as sad as some of these stories are and some of the difficulties that these people went through in the church uh, after as far as where it untimely kind of ended. There was still some really positive things that came out of yeah. it, and it's like, so, you know, I don't want it to think that just like everything went to shit and fell apart because, it, you know, yeah, it was hard, but he still took away a huge amount. He met his wife through the church, like, I mean, his whole his whole world was built around it, and yes, yeah, it's, it's it's just, you know, um, but yeah, he 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 got into it and he sucked, and then I and then I kind of started going, um, you know, and I was into. A lot of what they were doing, um, they were talking about things, they were talking about dirty subjects. They were talking about Romans, you know. They were, they were getting into the gritty, like, you know, in the, in, in the police interrogation scene in the movie when the, the, the bad cop kind of swings the lamp over and, and gets the, the suspect right in the eye and they kind of they cringe back. That's what it felt like. It felt like they were just putting the spotlight right on you and just really forcing you to look inside yourself and to try to be the better person that you think you can be i think in a a way and it was it was extremely powerful it was unlike anything i'd ever studied and or been a part of and it just made you want to go and listen and um, try to improve yourself at least that's how i engaged with it and obviously there's going to be all different kinds of reasons why people engage with it to to meet their own needs um and I was into the, the presentation, for sure. I mean, you can't you can't argue that they really... Whether it was through an authentic artistic expression or whether it was through a really detailed knowledge of human psychology and the nature of the people who live in this area and what would attract them and what would appeal to them. Because it almost feels like that sometimes. When you really step back a a, a, a filter and kind of go, were these guys just the ultimate, like just knowers of people and knowing how to set a mood and create a feeling that just puts you into like this vulnerable state where you're just completely open to the suggestion of what is being offered so i don't know it's in hindsight it's hard not to look at it from that different perspective but at the time it felt like this is legit this is something that is powerful when i when i when the peak of the sermon to he he would peak it at some just insane level of, of introspection. And then the worship would come in the music and the way they would set the mood Mm -hmm. and it would build all, it build all It it was all moody and slow and dark and brooding. And then it would, it would start to kind of come out of itself into a lighter, positive, like joyous finish. And you would leave there just feeling like drained, exalted, Mm -hmm. motivated. Like I am running into my life head first, like, I have all the confidence in the world, and so it was. It was almost like, shit, man. I mean, you could—it's a dopamine response. It's a drug. It's a drug mm-hmm. addict, and a lot of the people that were attracted to that church either had straight-up addiction problems or had mm-hmm. addictive personalities. Mm-hmm. It there. That was a very common thread throughout the church, at least as far as I was involved. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, and you know, it was a way. It was a place where people could come. Well, and, first and off, try again, heal.
0: like like the covenant. Whether it's on Front Street or not, or whether it's as obvious or not, that is present again in all churches. Yeah. People come to God to get safe <laughs> from that very sort of thing, and yeah. and you know those parts of themselves. Yeah. Um, but I, I just want to I, I want to warn both of you right now that I I feel like this is going to be a conversation that we might have to have a couple. Sessions to get through yeah. the whole chat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, um, some of the things that we're touching on are the questions of. So, <clears throat> I asked you really early on, like, was it or wasn't it culty? You know, was it a cult? And so, what I want to say about this is that, uh, you know, I'm super interested in understanding the. Threshold at which something, you know, is or isn't one, um, and this is not a, a hit piece. I've been listening to some Driscoll, what's, you know, nice, nice. nice the definition. There we, there we go. My we mom go. wrote nice. this That's up nice. actually. So, um, and, and I want it. and, I, and I, I want to look at that. Um, but I was going to say, you know, I've been listening Whoa. to what's clearly like some stripped down versions of Driscoll sermons. I'm listening to some Mark Driscoll that I found in podcasts, yeah. um, and but he's great you know he's got he's got the he's got the swing you know he's got his he's got his uh style and I'm a kid who grew up not just going to uh church I woke up too early in the morning before the cartoons even came on on Saturdays and Sundays and you guys may know what was on TV back in the day early early morning the fucking 700 club and shit like that was on tv and so i would watch that stuff too (laughs) you know what i mean i watched i watched old billy graham i I never (laughs) you know i watched a little bit of benny hen but (laughs) even he was like he was behind you know i'm 43 you know i watched billy graham and i watched Mm -hmm. you know pat robertson you know still still absolutely still um you know and and watched all those shows Mm -hmm. you know Um, and I watched those people doing all their good works out in the world and stuff like that. You know, these guys were, those were mega churches by any standard, you know, um, obviously. Um, so, but I was going to say, uh, you know, Mars Hill more so than Pat Robertson's mega churches and, and the generation of churches that came before us like that. More so than them, Mars Hill resembles to me, and, and this is, you know, forgive me, uh, you know, I'm, an, a, I'm a super outsider, and I love that you occupied a position of somebody really close in on that onion layer. That was almost you know, a member of the church, but didn't ultimately choose to join the church. Douglas, I presume you signed the covenant, you were a full member of the church?
2: You know, I waffled for a long time, but I ultimately signed it because I was engaged to somebody that had already gone through the go. courses. There you go. So it's like, oh, go. got to man up and take leadership, and it's, we're go. a part of this church, aren't we? Okay. It's like converting. So there we go. So, <laughs> <like converting laughs> so, yeah, so no.
0: I would say, first and foremost, that sort of stuff reminds me of Mormonism. Okay, just because you know when you convert to Mormonism, you either convert everybody in your family, or you say goodbye to your non-Mormon, you know, living family members, and proceed to try to back-convert deceased relatives and do the whole Mormon shtick on on them, um, and hope to either bring the rest of your family into the fold. In the case of you know new Mormon converts who aren't part of that uh, fold. You know, uh, so those folks deal with, you know, tough choices all the time in terms of who they can be involved with or not in in their lives. Uh, I, one of my first loves uh, back in high school was a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want to talk about problems. Yeah. All right. You want to talk about, you know, difficulty with, you know, relationships with regular, uh, you know, friends and kids who you go to school with. Uh, That girl never should have even hardly. Said anything more to me than you know? Please pass the fucking beaker rack in science class. You know, yep. from one side of the table to the other. Uh, you know, according to everything uh, she was uh, dealing with in her life. Uh, so these are these are uh, you know religions that You know, I'm we're sitting in the room together. Nobody can see us. Nobody can see our facial expressions. But you know, when I say Mormonism, when I say Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, uh, like the people who are listening too are also you know both of your guys eyebrows go up and you know get a little you know wonky because we're all like ew oh no but then on. we kind of also quite the same, but then you, you know get, it's not you know but then your eyebrows kind you of raise up and you kind of go yeah idea, but though. yeah but
1: you kind of go yeah but it is kind of the same it's back, similar it's the same. so I mean, then i asked I mean, myself
0: sure. how different is it than scientology yeah. You know, yeah. and now these, these are whole different mythologies, right? These aren't these aren't Christianity. These aren't even you Again, know we're, you know Scientology. We're talking about something completely, completely yeah, different. Film, can we're, we're part of so, modern records, but so no. But still, like, getting back to what the, it fir- it the very first seriously. the very
1: first discussion we had, I said, well, it's a cult in the same way that all churches are kind of a cult to a certain degree. It just right. depends on how far you run with the concept. Right. I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, it's weird because on one side of the table you have like we were just talking about earlier, like my brother was an example, um, but just there's lots of good positive things that come out of of church environments regardless of whether or not the core of the subject matter is real and whether or not people believe that subject matter because that's a larger existential supernatural phenomenon that you have to look at and embrace or deny
0: because when one when one takes a step back from any or all of these, the secular humanist, the you know academic, you know uh, who is a study, you know uh, a student of comparative religion, we might say, hey, all of these on some level can be judged similarly in terms of level of fidelity, you know provability, falsification, falsification. Yeah. Falsific- Cability? Falsifiability. 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 Right? falsifiability? <laughs> yeah. Good lord, um, that's
1: the definition of a scientific. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it has to right? be Falsifiable. You know,
0: and so of course, uh, you know, much of uh, what we what we're contesting, you know, is you know anyone other than a person of faith would be those those holes in the mythologies, and and so what I'm saying there is that it's really easy right now. Uh, as non-Mormons, for example, to say, uh, you know, Joseph Smith's story sounds a little weird to me, you know, uh, I, I'm, I, I find it hard to believe that he found weird scrolls out in the mountains in the, you know... Uh, Plains there in the South Rockies. Park,
1: South Park took that care of that one for you us. know, real nice.
0: So, you know, but somebody else would say the same of Agreed. the Virgin Birth Agreed. and of the or, Christian mythology. You know, every know. side is so. going to
1: say the same thing about the other. So, so it's like, could yeah.
2: you even imagine the South Park guys? There had to be on spikes by ISIS if they went that route. You know, it's well, like to point out like the cultism of a religion.
1: The church would have done the same thing six seven eight hundred yeah, years ago thing, i right. mean uh, yeah it would, it would, i mean so yeah i mean that's so that was kind of but my my point was though is like you have to sometimes take it with a grain in the same way i don't know if you followed jordan peterson the psychologist at all uh he's a canadian psychologist he's he's pretty well known he does a lot of content um I but i
0: feel like i might have heard a talk maybe by him at yeah point?
1: i mean you know because he's he he gets he takes a lot of flack from progressives and ultra liberals um, but you know, he, cause he basically, his point is that, you know, when you have a system like we have, you're going to have, you're going to get two sides of it. You're going to get the wise King and you're going to get the, the totalitarian leader. Um, you know, but at a certain point, even if you hate the part of the totalitarian leader that oppresses people's rights and, and creates evils, like, you know, we're, what our government does around the world, you know, but at the same time you have to look at like the wise king aspect of it in that there's a lot of positives that come out of having an organized government and people in authority as far as like, you can't just throw everything out just because you don't like certain parts of it. And so that's kind of the, the, like the pr- approach to, to churches and that, you know, yes, they, I think ultimately it's a problem because it's, you're, you're, you're having people do things under the guise of something that to me just is really kind of, it feels like a bit of a con in ways. But, what's that? What's that exactly? Well, so you're 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 manipulating people's emotions and their understanding of their own reality, in, in a in a way to keep them tied into a social system that then, you know, creates money it's in tithe. It gives people jobs and careers. It's a way to live and survive as a human, um, you know, it, but. It, at the, you know at the at the core of it you 're you 're convincing people to give you money to live um, and also and, and well, the pastor yeah and so well the people who run the church is, essentially and but if in exchange they are providing this placation this relief of here 's how here 's everything you need to know about your life here 's what 's going to happen when you die here 's all we 're helping you understand your reality because everything seems big and scary and it's really difficult to put it all together, and we need this person to draw this line for us and just show us. It's no different than how a totalitarian leader works. Can you hear me, please? You know, they basically... You
0: should get those, yours in the uh, ice there.
1: It's it's very similar to a, to a totalitarian regime like we deal with now. Create fear in the populace through whatever, false flag attack, through... Uh, fear mongering with the others that are coming to get us, the terrorists, whatever you know, and and so in church the the example unbelievers, yeah, the church would be going to hell, go mm-hmm. Satan. Here's mm-hmm. all the things you need to be afraid of. Okay, so we got a fear element of motivation first. That creates chaos. That creates the confusion in the congregation or just these the lay people, the sheep, whatever you want to call them, uh, the masses. You know that creates fear. That puts into a state of confusion and chaos. Then you're seeking direction. You're seeking. You're, you're in a more vulnerable state, and you're more willing to give up things that maybe you really don't want to in exchange for security, for stability. Show me the way. I don't know where I'm going. I, I'm I'm lost. Help me. And so, you know, because that's how, that's how governments create control of populations. And in the same way, I see the same mechanism in a church. That's how they create control and kind of an addiction, a connection to it. And then you have these people who are now going to support your life. Sure. So it's kind of... I see similarities in, in how how it functions, I suppose. See, and this is, wh-
0: this is why this is going to be like five talks, because here's the deal. <laughs> it's going see, deeper and deeper well, down so, the rabbit hole. The well, There's a lot the of thing. psychology in it. Well, and because on the flip side of that, one could say, everyone in this room is also co- cognizant of the fact that... Um, What most of us would term, you know, at least the um, largely the same thing as what we call modern Western religion today, the beginnings of uh, a Vatican controlled uh, medieval and Renaissance uh, era uh, Catholic Church, uh, for example, um, for all its shortcomings. For all its crimes against humanity, including inquisitions and crusades, and you know, uh, politics influences that exist to this very day, mm-hmm. um, and the ways that they controlled information and didn't allow information to flow, even 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 all of that um, aside, I'm thinking to myself. You know, we started that last little part of the discussion with the with the question of the how comfortable or not comfortable we are with the prospect of the position of and the existence of um, a class of people who live at the charity of others and at the same time occupying a position of authority over them somehow, moral authority. Right? What a weird juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of what's like, hey, fuck you, man. You don't, even, you don't even exist if it wasn't for the money we bring every Sunday to this church. But I would say, so here's what I'm saying. The counterpoint to that or the devil's advocate part of that is, we all know that, first off, if you're going to church every week, week in and week out, you either are the type of par- parishioner who has decided you're a believer, and this is about your salvation, first off, Okay? Your salvation, your fucking soul. Where you're going. All right? Yeah. It's serious. This short, ugly life is going to be over sometime. It's it's serious. Okay? Yeah. So you're either that parishioner or you're the one who's like, man, fuck that story, all that. My kids need somewhere to go. Right. We get snacks after fucking, um, (laughs) you know, communion's over. We get the barbecue sometimes. The pastor gave me a job mowing the fucking uh, field out here. Yep. Around the gravestones, so yeah, I believe in God. Whatever you say, buddy. <laughs> safe, buddy. You know, they're taking Where care of I my sign? wife. She's got you know people bringing uh, you know uh, hand me downs over for the kids and right. saving us money on clothes. Yep. Etc. Yep. Community. Boom. Yeah. We're in. Yeah. This is a reason to be here. So there's two different types of parishioners. Either one, the church doesn't care which you are. I would argue. Uh, because because they would argue that the non believer one who I just described who nevertheless is there all the time, they'll say, "Well, Jesus will get into his heart sooner or later, yeah, exactly. you know, or whatever. Have you know effect. what I mean? Jesus will get into his heart eventually, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we got hey, we got every Sunday, we got another chance, With you know. It, yeah. So, yeah. so there's that. Um, you know, the good the 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 good uh, Christian would you know say that uh, for those folks, and um, and and even if they don't get them. Well, as long as they're living the righteous life, at the end of the day, a lot of folks would, you know, could spend endless time arguing. Well, he's still going to heaven, you know, at the end of it all, whether he believes or not, because he did it all right. He did all the check marks, and he said the, he said his hail Marys and our fathers, yeah. you know, etc., etc., etc. They
1: actually would really just see that as the same, though, because that just seems like I mean, you're just.
0: They, there's, I, a I, I a of of there's a lot of they. I get it. A lot of general. A lot of they's, true. right? So there's a lot of they's anyway, out there. Yeah. Um, so. But. Uh, oof. Oof. So, but what I was going to say, though, is that um, in either case, in either case, either one of those parishioners, when the collection plate comes around, forget tithing, which is a whole nother matter. Okay. Tithing is big. Tithing is a percentage. Yeah. A big percentage. I want to say 10% of Typically, your income.
2: That's difficult.
0: Okay. Yep. it's no joke. Fact, on top of everything else, should be intact. That's, that's value to life. with
2: the priests. Okay. That's, yeah. It's all about... Pretty standard.
0: So, um... so, but just the collection plate, week in and week out, is really what keeps the church going. Because most churches don't have all their parishioners tithing by a long shot. I bet you, they may be lucky to count themselves with ten percent of their parishioners, of their congregation, actually tithing. I bet. And and. Exceptions being super engaged, super activated mega churches like Scientology, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Mormons,
2: or like like, Mars Hill church. like
0: churches that resemble Mars Hill, Austin's Empire. Okay. Isn't he the River of Life uh, minister? She's, she's the, right? He's one he's, of them. I he started there. there. He's the big one. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, River of Life is from here, and that's why I mentioned that one in particular because they're from Kent. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm thinking of Casey Treat. I was going to say. Boom, Casey Treat. I was say. I was say. That's I was, a
2: whole other. Yeah. 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 If you want to get hardcore on theology. So
0: how yeah. different is Driscoll and Mark Hill <laughs> from a Casey Some Treat? Casey? And here's Casey Treat, who's still here. Yeah.
2: I You think know, Mark here's Casey
0: Treat, who plenty of people food, will though. tell you right now is a fucking super douche canoe.
1: They weren't doing
2: health and wealth, but it was similar. I mean,
1: and and I I, I almost hate to to even venture the notion that maybe there's a step even beyond that where it's like um, the people who follow the Casey treat who's still there and doing it somehow almost like, no and they're still doing <laughs> okay. it anyway man that's what i mean they're, they're they're we're talking about indoctrination that's multiple generations like it's like a so pre, this is this like is pre indoctrination this is
0: what we're here to parse this yeah. is what we're here to understand Dude. is how do how can we hold in our in our hands and our minds and our consciousness the um the reality the cognitive dissonance, dissonance which embodies the fact that there are positive associations that both of you have with having been members of Mars Hill also on the larger level what you're really identifying as is as christians on a on a journey spiritual journey yourselves with you know your own personal relationships with your own faith whether we still even call it faith or not whether we're so agnostic at this point that we can't even use those terms the same way anymore does faith even still have a definition for any of us that are this far out of the flock at this point uh no matter how much we want to sit around and talk about it right um so
2: i don't know i just use the force
0: there you go right or is it the fucking force you know and i mean what's yeah. so funny is that you know so it's, it's so easy to like this then you know you can get disgusted at like taking something so real as no, what we're talking about ideas. and then relating it back so, to no. something as, as seemingly so. silly as a mythology like, you know, a Star Wars mythology. And then there's mm. those who, without even breaking a sweat, could hold forth for one hour on the three of us right now on how... The entire Star Wars original Star Wars trilogy (laughs) is a direct, you know, Christian, you know, you know, myth, and you know. Now you you want to get
2: into literary bang 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 symbolism, you know? They just fucking they just mind
0: fuck you, you know what I mean? Jordan
2: Peterson
1: talks about this a lot, right? That psychologist Jordan Peterson, he talks about that um, that a lot in the sense that you can discount the Bible all you want; it doesn't have to be true to you. Regardless, it is the story of humanity.
2: It is the story of the human race
1: as we have been able to parse that history together as best as animals like us who are still discovering language and communication we've done the best we could from where we began to where we are now so like it or not whether it's real, whether it's actually the way it happened, whether that's what humans are even really like or that's just a story that we've created to tell ourselves so we behave the way we want to behave like regardless it is the description of how we see, like, the best of humanity should behave. He is, like, the ultimate example of what we believe, like, a real human, the best, purest human could possibly be. Sure. And it's, like, that's a ubiquitous across all a lot of major religions. There's that, that figure who defines what you think. And then <laughs> the problem is it's, like, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one to still build it on. You know, because people want to see. Well, if it's not real, then, then how can we really believe and connect to it? It's like at a certain point that doesn't matter because so, it's there to be a representation and a, and an attainable, like like an unattainable ideal. But yeah,
2: I don't
0: know. Okay, so I want to capture one part of that question in a follow up question here, and this is not a gotcha question, but it is something that. Since the you've brought some resources that we haven't even looked at yet tonight, that I hope that I'll get to either photocopy and if I have to I will, or what have you, you know. I can email these pictures, what have you. I have them in email. You know, just whatever your mom is comfortable with, because some of this stuff is her stuff. Um, um, and I've got some some really rich. Uh, you know history in these emails and letters that I found in this blog that I shared with you guys in the chat. That um, that I stumbled upon in my literal just Google searching about Mars Hill history. Um, so as I said, this isn't a gotcha, but this is a question I have for the the two of you, and this is related to the how culty it things are or aren't, and how. How straightforward. First off, uh, Mars Hill. Let's let's confine it to Mars Hill right now, because we were talking about a bunch of other weird, you know, uh, you know, ideas. you know, types of uh, faiths that that greatly resemble Christianity. Most of them, including Scientologists, would, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, s- characterize themselves as more similar than dissimilar to the rest of us. Um,
2: Denominations, if you
0: what bible did mars hill use and in any place that either of you was aware of at any level of the teachings of the church did the doctrines the teachings of the church does it anywhere does it diverge from what i understand from my king james bible episcopalian upbringing
2: Dude, they had Bible studies that were like a Fight Club, where people would break out the different versions and whatnot. Uh, my go-to, uh, Tommy Chainsaw New American Standard, which was one that I bought before going to Bible college on authority of my dad and a couple other people. You know, it's just like what what makes sense. What what takes Greek and Hebrew, ancient Greek and Hebrew and puts it together in English in a way that we can apply it to our lives. And even then, it's like, you know, I didn't get till my late teens and my early 20s to be just almost incredulous of it to the point where you go to Bible college and be like, I need to learn more, really? Like, this is what we're founding our faith on? But it's just, uh, man. (laughs) The, uh, The Bible fights, man. People would get into... You have to get into all the contact and apologetics and everything, too. People would... I mean, get, so... Was, get on their own soapbox about a topic. I don't even remember which... I mean, dude, I'm...
1: It's I, it's something that I've com- almost completely cut out of my life. And I got to say that I was a little nervous to come talk about this. Cause, mm-hmm. and, and reading some of the stuff that my mom wrote about me, nice. it brings up... Because, dude... I've spent a the great the great struggle of my adult life has been to hey, reap
0: kudos. Good job for coming. Thanks, man. It's been to go.
1: rebuild my identity in some possible way where it makes sense with with the reality of that I see that I live in, and um, it's almost like again, it almost is you know. It, for me, it's just it's so hard. I don't want to feel like I'm taking shots at my family because it's like I just I so respect their reality you know they're, what they're, they're
0: absolutely uh, going to know after they listen right, to if anybody know, bothers but, to listen to this they're going to know but, that, but that's not what we're doing no
1: here. and that's i and i know but i just want to say that like it's it's more than that because it's just you know it's for me it felt like an addiction um and it's to the point where you just had to like somehow try to parse that thing out of your mind because what we were talking about earlier, it's like that duality. It's that belief and that non-belief trying to coexist in the same headspace just starts to become maddening. So um, that was kind of the struggle where I just had to almost pick a side if I wanted to maintain, I think, my sanity. And I had to just say no and just step away from it. So um, I don't even remember which Bible I had. It was a big, nice, fancy one that I think someone in my family
0: got. do you remember, does Mars Hill, did they have a particular translation that was the Bible that was available yeah at church exactly yeah, As, yeah, there were new American new standard yeah. okay so I think, okay. mine was a, my so was I, think I grew edition, up I with the King James for the most part because Episcopals things. are one step Dude. removed and, from yeah, the, Roman with, Catholics now' the other
2: one It's not a New American Standard. They had the uh, New New International version, was it? Uh, Maybe it was NIV. NIV. Yes. Was it? And sometimes they were revised, like New NIV What What do I have
0: here? I have a Catholic Life Edition here, a big one. I want to say mine was one one or two others around here, but I don't have mine. No, they're not. Hey, actually, they're not that different except where they are. Except where they are, yes. So, for example, King James versus New International Version... Big difference, Big difference in the way those read. Yep. Okay, the New International Version is a much more plain English interpretation and translation uh, of the Bible. And so arguably more readable, um, but also probably arguably lower fidelity in terms of, you know, an uh, uh, academic who wants to parse uh, a closer you know, understanding or a truer understanding of what they be- believe to be the original texts, which obviously by the time we're looking at a King James version we were already several generations removed from even In a, <laughs> you know, Gutenberg Bible, right? Which would have been the output of the Council of Nicaea would have been a Gutenberg Bible, right? Um, and obviously a Gutenberg Bible would be unreadable to any of us unreadable you know old english or latin or some other fucked up antiquated shit that we cannot (laughs) that we cannot you know uh so that's fine you know
2: i mean it's just the whole how many mistakes
0: so much fun so hey, much fun like I, don't, this, I don't want it like bisected it this...
2: either because it's just human history that's yeah. the technology we have so <laughs> the, the, virus, the point I was it?
1: trying to make was like at a certain point this is the story that we it's have
2: the biggest tone no thing I,
0: I, I do like that point yeah. I do like that point yeah. and 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 it is a valid crucial thing to to like get yeah. to to like ask yourself do you uh, do you get this at all like you can't fucking go back and get this shit yes. this is what we've got yeah. we might get another little scribbity scrap we might little get a little fucking scooby snack here or there but we are not getting whole intact books no. back and we're not getting books that are hundreds of years or thousands of years older than the books that we've already got closer to the sources, the contemporaries, the people. You know, let's, let's, you know, again, remember that. So the question I just asked you guys was, and it sounds like the answer is for the most part, no. But the question I just asked you guys was, you know, did Mars Hill have anything like to draw a specific parallel, anything as unusual or shocking to a lay person or an outsider as for example, uh, certain sects of traditional Mormonism, which would have included a strong belief in bigamy or polygamy, polygamous families, okay? Now, I don't think Mars Hill had anything close to that going on. But what I mean there is Mormonism, a ostensibly completely straight and accepted religion. Let's, you know... Uh, not forget that they, we have Mormons that are sitting senators and Congress people all over the country and judges and mayors and governors of states, etc. Uh, so these are, you know, respected people. They are a you know, recognized non-profit you know, church organization. They're not considered a cult in any way, shape, or form. And they have, of course, had to leave behind certain Parts of their traditions, including that exact one that I just mentioned, that being the the polygamous families, the famous polygamous but Mormon families, still, still okay. right? right. Some do, right, 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 right. So we know we also know that we're talking about something that's said TV to be dead things. and done, but yet there are people who do it sure. right now, yeah. today, in 2017. Yeah. Um, but the so formal Mormon Church would um, <laughs> disown them on any. You know, by any uh, on any record that you ever put them on, Um, you know, you're not going to get anybody to claim those folks. Um, So, but so I said, do they have? You know, did Mars Hill have anything that was interesting? Did Mars Hill have anything Uh, that was, you know, well, no. So, you know, there was no there was no departure from anything that I would consider normal scripture and doctrine that I'm familiar with from my Episcopal upbringing. The general gist of it is no. From There'll what be, I'm getting from both of I you mean, there guys,
1: there was some literal. There was there were some. They would get pretty literal
2: sometimes.
0: Would um, we call Mars Hill evangelical Christian?
2: Well, I mean, they have a, a strain of evangelicalism. They're they're definitely forward in their.
0: Um, How do we characterize evangelical? Yeah, I was gonna
1: say, I mean, it depends on your definition. Right. There's a, there's gonna be a, a quite a scale there. Right. Um, you can
2: cut that down to definitions. You're right.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, you know. I think in, in all senses, you know, any type of Christianity, even Not by if, title, even, of if, even if it's just, I mean, you're expected, I, th- I would say, to, you know, to at least m- mention it if it comes up, and as a way of, of, of identifying it as part of your life, and, and, and in that form, kind of, that's your own form of almost, uh, like, subtle proselytizing. So um, evangelicals, know, in
0: evangelicals in are expected to um, live their life in a way in which they evangelize the religion to others. Uh, they embody it, mm-hmm. and they always claim it when given the opportunity to claim it. They never um, decry it or deny it, um, and and I also think of evangelicals as often being um, fundamentalists as well by some think, interpretation or some, some, some yeah. so is that fair or not um, I mean I think, I think
1: as far as what people to understand that term to to mean it's a maybe a, yeah it's a decent generalization so and when get, I when I, I say ballpark.
0: fundamentalist Christian I say I'm I'm trying to describe a uh, slightly stricter, um, sort of, uh, well, so that's not fair, because this, some of these very churches that we're talking about, Mars Hill in particular, outwardly, in all its superficial trappings, even at layer 1, 2, and 3 of examination by an outsider, would seem super loosey goosey, new agey, and hipstery uh, to a lot of folks. Uh, I would say because it's like, well, nobody's wearing ties and everybody's got Warby Parker glasses on, and I see a lot of visible tattoos, and some of these women have piercings in places I didn't expect to see here in church, you yes. know, uh, and and then they got a rock band playing off in the corner instead of an organ. That was me. You know. Um, and I don't know what the, um, you know, actual churches looked like inside. I do know that at the peak, there was also, um, I understand, uh, Pastor Driscoll had his sermon at the main church and wasn't that getting like piped out to the satellite locations as well on a screen? to them. So he's virtually in half a dozen or more locations week at a time, week 10. in and week out at its peak. Mm-hmm. Talking to how many people?
1: It was over 10,000 at one point. Fuck. Um I think they said it was like it peaked at 12 maybe, I forget. But I know it was over 10,000 members at at its peak. Um, yeah, I remember, that was after I'd kind of been away from the church for a while, but I, I succumbed to a, um, uh, you know, a holiday visit, because it was just kind of, you know, I was with the family, and I was like, sure, I'll go to church, you know. But I was not actively going to church at the time, but I, I, I went for a Christmas, sure. a Christmas one, um, and that, he was on the screen, and yeah, I mean, I, I, it gave me a very uncomfortable feeling. It had a, it had that. So it, you
0: came from before that era.
1: I dude, I was at Wedgwood early days and when it was just like I don't know 30, 30 people, forty people. It was small, it was intimate, candles, like very introspective atmosphere, well, um, living room style, like Bible it, study it, size. No, I mean the, big Bible study. To go from that, and when he, I don't know, he had a he had a much he had a very, um, kind of, Oops, sorry, kind of like you could tell he was doing it while he was up there. You know, it had an on-the-fly feel early on. Like, he was just shooting from the hip. Like, this is authentically what this guy's wanting to say right now. Um, and then to go from all the way from that to see him on a screen, and he just looked different. He was just a much more polished appearance. The delivery felt kind of, I don't know, just felt rehearsed and... It was striking because it just reminds me of like political propaganda type of feeling of this. The whole crowd is watching the demagogic leader on the screen. Did it feel rehearsed
0: or did it feel like somebody was writing the sermons, you know? I don't know if I'd go that With him? Mm, I don't know if I'd go that far. I I'd, go that far. Mm-hmm.
1: I'd, I'd say rehearsed. I'd say rehearsed, but I wouldn't read. say that like someone else had written it. I
0: but I mean, who cares if somebody else wrote it, right? right? I mean, what no, is no, that?
2: I mean, I think you'd want it to. I mean, there's a delivery quality. That guy is an actor for sure. Mm-hmm. Like he, But, like, the thing that I keep questioning myself is that just the depth of the theology done, if his claims are to be believed. I mean, the guy was a voracious reader, so he says, and went after an awful lot of that. So I think, like, I kind of wonder, like, where the paradox, if you will, <laughs> where yeah, these guys uh, think they really, like, are true believers and where the con is. Because it's just... The way it operates like I almost feel like that's that's Christianity for you. Christianity is culty like that. If everybody, if you got like the right germination for the seed cast, here's the answer to your problems. Let's all hang out and sing to God about it.
1: Well, I mean,
2: can I set either of you up with a nice CBD dab? You know, I'm I'm gonna have to
0: operate. It's well, CBD. The you machine. won't get high.
2: Yeah, yeah, straight CBDs. Okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah so I'll do it.
0: straight up CBDs. Killer. Just some medicating. I'm in. Just some medicating for you boys. Yeah.
1: Right? I did some some Zoot drops last night.
0: I did a. Um, it is uh, it's some Pennywise. Oh, okay. CBD shatter. And
1: I did a. So you know c-
0: exactly what you get. I'm not not tricking anybody there.
1: <laughs> yeah, wow. Forty um, percent. Burly. So. I've never done a deb.
0: There we go. Nice. All right. So this is the perfect way to start trying a dab because you get the full dab experience of vaporizing and what what the whole thing's about. You saw me hit the torch yeah. earlier and, and do it. Okay. It's a bong rip. It's just a bong rip. So that's the good news, you know. Um, so if you can hit a bong, you can do a dab. Um, and uh, But I love that. Uh, there we go. Being Doing it with CBDs to begin with is perfect because there's no downside. Right. You know, you can't get overwhelmed. It's not psychoactive. Um, can't get overwhelmed, you yeah. know. Um, so, fair to say, Mars Hill is Christianity, straight up Christianity. I would say evangelical. It's a Christian church. church. It was a Christian church, um, and so the thing that, nevertheless, makes the the story of Marcel so interesting is a little bit of what we were just talking about. We were beginning to talk about Pastor Mark Driscoll, who is, you know, more or less the well, he was the head pastor of the church ever since he became involved with it. Now he was, was he, he was a, a co- founder or he was a co- wasn't he? Co founder. Okay, so he was a founder.
1: Yeah.
0: Co founder. Um and he had been a pastor at some other Church prior to that, a smaller uh, church of some kind, I think. Uh, from what from what little research I was doing, it Freshman looked like Charlie he had church. some some involvement yeah, in another church. I can't speak to it. Um, um, interesting. Would,
2: I'd want to really pull up a. a, a he usually a, starts his story with what uh, WSU, where he met his wife and everything, and gotta be a Wikipedia getting his public speaking on. Page. but uh, he he loves to tell those stories. Like he found those podcasts. It's like his sermons are still out there.
0: So, but <laughs> we were just sort of talking about the the era at which he was at the peak of the church. You know, doing the doing the telecast, doing the you know virtual you know, presence in all the satellite churches. And to me, that's an interesting departure personally from my Episcopal church upbringing. You know what I mean? Like, so we don't have a ton of churches like that, that I know of. Um, Certainly not on the coasts, you know, maybe in the Midwest somewhere, there are a few Episcopal churches where the pastors are doing stuff like that for all I know. I don't know, but um, you know, first off, they call themselves ministers, right? Not typically pastors. In the, in the, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's it's funny. It's, well, so it. right, but I mean, it's funny because I mean, this <laughs> is you know, the the you know, when That's we funny. ask ourselves, oh, is it is a church, this type of church or that type of church? Um, you know, uh, is it is it one thing and not another, uh? pastors seem fundamentally less formal than ministers and even more so priests
1: I guess it depends on the church because if you don't have those things right then you never really understand a hierarchy between so if you only have pastors at the church that you go to, well, pastors are the top thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the hell a minister is because I ain't never mm-hmm. been to a church that had yep. ministers. So. Yep. so to me, I'm like, I could, I don't really have an, a like. A, so in
0: the Episcopal Church, you have uh, you have parishioners who are people who go to church. Sure. You have um, people who have church offices such as deacons mm-hmm. and others who might have jobs that are uh, associated with the service itself and or the administration of the church Uh, and then of course you have ordained ministers Hmm. and so in the Episcopal Church they're all called ministers I think they are on paper that person could be called a priest too But in the Episcopal Church, they tend to be referred to exclusively as ministers, whereas in the Roman Catholic Church, they would be called a priest. In both cases, the next rank above them that I understand would be your bishops. Now, there's a question for you. It's Where is formed. a bishop to a guy like a Mark Driscoll? See, There's no bishop above a Mark Driscoll. Many, many of those pastors There's no are bishop foreign. above a Casey Treat, right? You know that I know of, right? I mean, he's not reporting to a no. pope. Well, no, somewhere.
1: I mean, that's and that's kind of what gets back to more of the definition of a cult is the is you have to have the single godhead. You have to have the single leader that everything is built around. And so, I mean, that is usually one of the most consistent. <laughs> consistent, uh, parts of a definition of what a cult is, is there, it's built around a singular figure. Um, I mean, and that's so, but it's difficult though, because I mean, you look at churches in general and it's kind of like, well, how does that not happen? You know, because you're going to pick a charismatic person to be the pastor, priest, minister, whatever. You're going to pick that that people identify with.
0: I'm going to heat this up. Okay. I'm pointing you first. You come over. Yeah. And, you know, because we cool it down. Okay. So I'll let you know when you're ready to come over. Bang. Hit it. Sweet. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's kind of the, the hard part about it. Because I want to believe that there are differences. You know, um that not all churches are built off of somebody like this, and that there are, like, decent, honest people in these positions at certain churches and in certain places that just this one particular case just didn't happen to be that maybe, you know. But I guess part of me still wants to always have the benefit of the doubt that maybe there are times when it isn't a con, and maybe there are times where it's, like, it is really effective for what its intention is, but that's a hard one to to ever really
2: know I guess yeah it's it's funny how church government a lot of those titles that you talked about it was so foreign to me like the whole denominational most of that stuff is just depends on your understanding of the New Testament Uh, but there's a lot of that stuff that they they like to pick and choose from the Old Testament despite it's patriarchy.
0: <laughs> right. Okay, I've got some already on the dabber for you. I'll man that. Okay. So you just relax. Just a moment. Sure. I've seen it done. Mm-hmm. I've it on, on a video. So normally yeah. I. Again. Okay. <laughs> so if you let it cool down you're not combusting the oil, you're vaporizing it you're basically boiling it off so that'll be cooler vapor in your lungs you'll hopefully cough less and less severely if you do cough hmm. um, You know, most of the people who used concentrates first uh, used it because they were very sick a lot of times cancer patients and stuff like that who can barely sit up for long enough to smoke let alone sit there and smoke a whole joint yeah. or lung power you know, yeah. um, you know certainly aren't pulling bong rips and stuff like that so if you can get someone to take one good breath and take one good dose of something like that they can get you know the equivalent of you know several puffs of a pipe in one mm-hmm. you know one shot.
2: Right there. Oh, so look at
0: cool. that! Um, oh yeah, our fire ended once again. Uh, wow! All right, let me switch you out here. I'm set. Uh, <laughs> that's not thing. early.
1: I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's penny wise. From Experience Organics. Experience Organics Petting Wise CBD Shatter. Hmm. Smells good.
1: Very tasty. Yeah, it has a very kind of piney, yeah, almost kind of like wintergreen.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop recording on this right here.